Welcome to the Lend Academy podcast, episode number 76. This is your host, Peter Renton, founder of Lend Academy. We have a very special guest on today's show. Scott Sanborn is the CEO of Lending Club, a position he has held since May of this year, although he has been with the company for many years. Now, before I get started, I want to just clear up a couple of things. I am an equity investor in Lending Club stock. I also have been investing in the loans of Lending Club now well over seven years. And of course, Lending Club is a client of Lendit. So I'm hardly impartial, but I wanted to get all that out of the way and really wanted to get Scott on the show, not so much to talk about the past, but to talk about what's happening today inside Lending Club, how they're preparing for the future, and you know, obviously addressing some of the challenges they've had, particularly on the investor side of the equation. But we also talk a lot about uh, we talk about securitization, we talk about their, their loan performance, we talk about the mix of investors, the retail investors. You know, we talk about Goldman Sachs and what uh, Scott thinks about them entering the space. So it's a fascinating interview. And I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to the podcast, Scott. Thank you, Peter. Great to be here. Okay, so not everyone knows a lot about you. So can you give us a little bit of background about yourself and your time before Lending Club as well as your time at Lending Club? Sure. So my background is actually, I started in consumer marketing, consumer behavior. I started in traditional advertising and then moved to online advertising and website development and then expanded into broader operational roles, including I was the president of an e-commerce retailer, Red Envelope. And I was the chief revenue officer for another company in the Valley here called eHealth, uh, eHealth Insurance, which is a sort of like an Expedia for health insurance. And I talked to Lending Club several times over several years. I was very fascinated by the model and was really in, inspired by the idea of using technology to solve a real problem. I felt like uh, well executed, this could be an absolutely massive business opportunity that solved real problems and we could build an incredible brand. So I thought I was excited about it from, from multiple fronts. And when I joined in 2010, I started as the chief marketing officer we had only done a little over a uh, hundred million or so in loans, you know, so we're, we're over 20 billion today. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my role here has, has grown. I moved into a chief operating officer role to really own the full customer experience product, you know, and as well as, as, as service, and then moved into a president role and obviously more recently into the CEO role. And I'm excited about all that we have accomplished. You know, we've saved borrowers uh, over 1.6 billion and uh, we've paid over 2 billion in interest to investors. But I continue to feel like we are just getting started. Mm-hmm. Sure. So then obviously, you know, it's, uh, you know, millions of words have been written, it seems, about the, uh, the incidents that happened in the Lending Club in the spring. And I don't, I'm not going to dwell on them at all in this interview, but I want to, I want to get a, a feeling from you. Like, what, what, what's the mood like inside Lending Club today? You know, the mood is incredibly focused and very determined. I've been 
very proud and, and inspired of the energy of the team. I feel like we've accomplished really an incredible amount in a very short period of time. Stabilizing the investor base, bringing back, you know, 16 of our top 20 investors. Uh, we executed our first securitization, uh, or Jeffries executed a securitization using uh, a shelf that we created in, in Q1. Launched the first 40 Act fund for marketplace lending with uh, with partners who who developed that. So, and I guess also excited by the amount of talent that we've added to the team. You know, Tom Casey, our new CFO, former WAMU, Patrick Dunn, our chief capital officer from from BlackRock, uh, Valerie Kay, who joined us from Morgan Stanley as head of institutional investors. And, and Raman Suri, who joined us from BlackRock to run our retail investing group. So I feel great. And I think the team here feels feels great and feels like we're making excellent progress. Okay. So you said you've won back 16 of your top 20 investors. So what, what's been the key to winning back those investors? Yeah, I mean, I think first and foremost, it's the asset. You know, we've been in a low yield environment for for 10 years, and this asset is very attractive in the returns that it's generating. So I think, you know, that it starts there. And then, you know, given that this is an asset that our investors uh, want to own because of the returns that it generates, is then a question of what kind of diligence needs to be done. And that really varies based on the type of investor. You know, uh, banks having kind of the, you know, the most complex requirements and, you know, taking a little bit longer, whereas some of the other institutions can move more quickly to, you know, kind of complete their processes and come back to the platform. Okay, so based on the obviously different different investors are different, but so the ones let's just say banks, for example, how have they been able to get to come back? What have what have you done to prove to them that you know Lending Club is has got their act together and is uh, is just as good as it was before? Yeah, I, so uh, qu- quite a bit. I mean, I can give you. It varies by by the institution. But, you know, generally you can think about it as the larger the institution, kind of the longer the list of of requirements, and the more complex their internal decision making. But sort of examples of the types of things we've been doing, and our and that our diligence and internal audit teams have been supporting are. Uh, we've worked with, you know, one of the big four accounting firms to do, you know, portfolio and loan level validation. Hey, is all the data, is all the data being displayed accurate? Does it match the data that we got from the bureaus? Are the calculations accurate? Uh, are all the loans in the portfolio, do they meet that investor's particular criteria that they had specified? You know, that would be an example of the kind of work that we're doing. Right. Okay, so in your last earnings call, you you, know, you you actually shared some slides that showed the breakdown of the investor base, and 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 it really had, and you actually gave you broke it out sort of pre May ninth and post May ninth, and it had obviously had changed a lot. Is it is it getting back to more normal uh, to to way it was before? I mean, what is sort of the the profile? Is it is it becoming you know the similar to what it was at the start of the year, or is it still pretty different? We are, I mean, we're still in transition, but I would say we are, we do expect to be back to a similar mix over, uh, you know, the coming period. 
as you know the banks are coming back and and as i said kind of the the larger banks uh, take a little bit longer so we feel good about the progress and about getting back to kind of prior mix but we're still in transition okay so so what's what's the fastest growing category of investors right now for you guys well the sort of retail was the most resilient but obviously, uh, it's kind of a, in their case, more of a, of a tortoise and a hare. They're, they're pretty stable, but they don't, you know, you didn't double the size of your retail base month sure. over month or quarter over quarter. You know, the, the fastest to move would be the managed accounts and some of the other institutions. So think about, you know, some of the funds that you know the names of, like, uh, partners like, uh, Colchis or, or Eaglewood. Are you know have been responsive and, and fast to move, mm-hmm. and you know Jeffries has obviously uh, has executed their securitization and they are back purchasing again as another example. Okay, and let's just talk about the retail investor because you know there was you've said before that they have been resilient and obviously I, I'm I'm one of those investors. What are your plans? Thank oh, you for that, Peter. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, what are your plans then for for the retail investor? Do you have any plans to expand to offer you know to, to offer more for these for this group? We do. You know, we we've got over one hundred and thirty five thousand retail investors, and have been are really proud of really having that the largest retail base and it being such a core part of both the business and the brand. I think the first, you know, the big move we've made is the addition of Raman, who I mentioned earlier from, from BlackRock. I didn't give his background a little more detail. He was had multiple roles there, but those included head of the RIA segment and also head of product for US iShares. So we're excited about uh, having him on the team as having the right experience to drive this channel further. And there's, you know, first and foremost, growing the self-directed retail, uh, which is kind of the program that you're familiar with. Mm-hmm and expanding that, but also looking beyond. I mean, there are 45 million retail investors, so we've just scratched the surface. So looking at brokerage distribution strategies and registered investment advisors, and really developing the product and the process to to reach individuals through those other kind of channels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So do you, do you think, I mean, we've got, we obviously you guys announced the, the 40 Act Fund, you know, but that's not really a retail offering. It's an interval fund. It's not a, it's not a open-ended mutual fund. Is that, is that something that is on your radar or is this something you're waiting for others to do? I and mean, where are you at with like an open-ended mutual fund is obviously the, the holy grail, it feels like in some ways to, to bring masses of retail investors into this asset class. Yeah, I mean, so the we we love the the Forty Act Fund. You know, it's it is a form of kind of permanent capital, if mm-hmm. you will, and it is a way of reaching new new people and new individuals. Because the as as I think you know, it's most retail investors don't have a way to access consumer credit. So any any one of these products that that kind of opens up a new way to speak is. I think really accretive to our our overall mix. I'm not going to speak too much specifically about the key products we're working on, but you know, suffice to say, it is going to be a significant area of focus for us over the coming 18 months. Okay, okay. Well, let's switch gears a little bit to to talk about the you know the loan performance and, and credit quality. 
this is something that obviously, you know, we, every investor is, figures this is really the most important thing when it comes to their investors. They want the loans to perform well. Can you give us some, uh, some sort of color on, on how the loans have been performing? Yeah, I mean, we have uh, we talked in uh, Q1 and again in Q2. We've been very pleased with the performance of the the highest credit quality loans and have seen those delivering very solid, steady returns. We have seen underperformance in what I would call the riskier portion of the prime segment, or the you know that higher yield, more volatile portion of the prime segment. It's something we are monitoring closely. We've taken some some pretty significant actions already in terms of both reducing approval rates to that customer base. We've cut about 9% of uh, the population, generally those with higher indebtedness and kind of shown a propensity to uh, be accumulating debt. And we've also raised prices uh, pretty significantly. So we, you know, something we're monitoring absolutely that that is at the end of the day core to the overall business. And we've got at this point, as you know, eight years of history on a lot of loans. So mm-hmm. we, we feel really good about our ability to kind of uh, deeply understand the mechanics underneath and react quickly to any changes we're seeing. Right. Okay. Okay, so then I want to just touch on that, the securitization you mentioned. You said it was the first time you used your own shelf. I mean, there's been several securitizations that had Lending Club loans previously, but this is one that, uh, that sort of you, you kind of worked on with, with Jeffries. Can you just tell, tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, how that, how that process went and how, how those loans and how that kind of, how that's all been performing? Yeah, so Lending Club historically has not made kind of direct use of capital markets. Some of our some of our clients and partners have, you know, so most of our buyers as as you know are sort of buy and hold buyers. Some have used capital markets as a way to kind of recharge their their leverage facilities. We, you know, we see capital markets as an important part of the mix as a as a way to reach new investors as a very scalable source of capital, as a low-cost source of capital. And so we, we see it as an important part of the mix. What we wanted to do was really come up with a programmatic and standardized way of, of tapping those markets. Mm-hmm. So we developed two shelves, a, a prime shelf and a non-prime shelf with standard reps and warranties so that we could kind of create a programmatic way to, you know, where a buyer will, you know, have to do diligence kind of just once and then know what to expect so that we can make this really repeatable. And we were interrupted in that plan uh, in May, but we were pleased to be back on track with with the Jeffrey securitization that was three times oversubscribed. So really a great uh, first successful uh, foray. So is it fair to say that this this will become, you know, a more important part of your mix going forward? Yes. Okay. You know, we'll, uh, balanced, as you know, I think we're focused on really creating a very diverse array and diverse set of funding sources. So this will be one that we add to the mix, but won't be overly reliant on anyone. We just want to come up with a kind of a mechanism to support it. 
Right, right. Okay, I want to I want to talk about Washington D.C. and and your activities there. I know we just had recently the there was a, the first uh, marketplace lending summit was held. We now have a new executive director of the marketplace lending association, so there is obviously you know, movement there. And I know, and I actually, you know, I was aware that you were in Washington recently. Can you can you give us some color on what what your discussions there have been have been like, and who you've been speaking to in Washington? Yeah, I I feel uh, so. I, I did. I was in Washington about two weeks ago and met with the full range of regulators as well as a lot of the consumer advocacy groups. And, you know, I came away incredibly impressed, uh, I have to say. What I, what I saw was a government that is really engaged, that is incredibly well-informed and really supportive of technology-enabled lending and seeing it as a way to add value to, to consumers as well as, you know, potentially reduce systemic risk. And they are actively working on how to engage and provide the right level of guidelines and, and oversight. You know, the OCC's Supporting Responsible Innovation Initiative is, is an example. I think the FDIC's uh, recent guidance for banks on, you know, how to think about partnerships and, and what the obligations are under those partnerships, I think are all examples of real proactive engagement that, you know, I left feeling really, really excited about. So do you think they have a better understanding or they, or they have a good understanding of the industry? Because I've often felt like many people in DC are just now discovering discovering our industry. Um, do you feel in your conversations that they, you, you weren't starting from scratch? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I felt like the people that I met with were very, very well informed uh, and had a had a great handle on the issues and were. I mean, what I was sensing was a desire to create some kind of boundaries around responsible innovation and figure out ways to foster and promote that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. Sure. So. I know you're probably not going to give me any color, but I, I want to ask the question anyway. Um, how are the the, DOG, the Department of Justice SEC investigations? I mean, they, they started, uh, I think, in May. We haven't heard a whisper since then. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, I mean, nothing you know new to report. We are productively engaged and cooperating fully. I mean, I, this is something that will you know play out over. You know, I would expect a you know many, many, many months or potentially even years. So, I think it'll be a while before there there's anything to talk about there. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I want to actually go back and just talk a little bit about the mix between the, the retail and the institutional investors and the different, not just those two groups, but sort of the different kinds of investors. And I know you have some, you know, special programs, you know, particularly in the subprime area. But just for your for your regular loans. And you also you've got many different constituencies now that, that that are interested in investing in these loans. So how do you keep how do you keep sort of the platform fair and uh, between all the different kinds of investors? Yeah. So I mean, the the, the key thing is you know we've got two different platforms. We've got a, a whole loan platform, which is really institutional. Anyone can access it, but 
but clearly uh, funding $15,000 loans in, in one fell swoop is really majority dominated, uh, almost wholly dominated by the, by the large institutions. And then we have the fractional platform, uh, which is dominated by, by retail. And, you know, loans are randomly allocated between those two platforms based on grade and term. And, you know, we've got a function internally, uh, what we call platform balance function, that looks at expected demand by grade and term and kind of sets those guidelines. So, hey, we'll put, you know, 17% of A 36-month loans will be randomly allocated to the fractional and the remainder would, would go to whole. So, it's uh, that's uh, an entire function that sort of meets daily, looks at the data, looks at how quickly loans are being funded and makes adjustments. Right, and just and just on the retail platform, it, it seems that there's like if you look at the last the last few months, it's sort of been kind of bumpy. Is there a reason for that? That you know sometimes there's very few loans, or sometimes there's just a C grade and above. Is there a reason that, that it's been so bumpy? I mean, it's essentially been us getting back to normal operation and being cautious in this time period as we we stabilize. So you know really making sure that the capital is available before we're sourcing borrower loans and, you know, kind of meeting that demand. I think you'll see things really be normalizing, you know, and, and hopefully you're seeing that already. I think there's, at least when I looked the other day, there was almost 2,000 loans on the retail platform. Right, right. Okay. I want to ask you about the new product. You actually mentioned it in your earnings call and... I know that you know Renault talked about it in his keynote at Lendit that there was there's this new product that has been worked on for some time. Is there a timetable? Are we going to hear anything on your next earnings call to, uh, about this? I don't think you're going to hear about it on the next earnings call. You are correct that we were poised to launch uh, a new product, and we're excited uh, because it's a it's a you know major consumer category, and I think a, a big step forward for for Lending Club as well as for for consumers. But as you can imagine, our current focus has really just been on the, the core business, getting ourselves back to smooth operation, you know, getting bringing in the talent to take the company forward. And there's a few milestones that we want to hit internally. And once we've hit those, you'll be you'll be hearing from me. You'll be one of the first calls. <laughs> Great, thanks, Scott. Well, I, I, I'll hold you to that. So before I let you go, I wanna I wanna ask a question about banks and in particular banks that are entering the space. I mean, we I, I recently on the podcast, I had someone from Lightstream on that owned by SunTrust Bank. We've heard about Goldman Sachs. Very, There seems to be you know, coming in the fall is their new Marcus platform. I want to specifically get your thoughts on Goldman Sachs because you know, keep in mind, obviously, these these banks have a, you know, have a low cost of capital. They're obviously, they're not peer-to-peer lending platforms by any stretch, but they, I imagine, will be competing uh, with you on the borrower side. So how are you going to compete with Goldman Sachs and or other large banks who enter the space? Yeah. I mean, when I look at this space, I, I have a couple of thoughts on that. You know, One is banks have already been in this space and have been operating long before Lending Club arrived and, and still to today, right? I mean, yep. large banks uh, like Discover and Wells Fargo all have personal loans businesses that we have very effectively been competing against and you know, have grown already 
you know, already for some time been the largest provider of personal loans. And, and that's really driven by the benefits both of the model and the technology that we've built. So I feel great about eight years of data, all of that track record, using that to inform the pricing decisions, kind of more the culture of, of frankly, of, of, a, of a Valley company with that test and learn and, you know, releasing software every two weeks that really drives the overall performance. And, and when I think about cost of capital, uh, it is true that deposits are a great low-cost source of capital, and we have those too, and that's what partnering with banks uh, delivers to us. So, you know, for the for the most part, we view banks as as partners, mm-hmm. and their low cost of capital with our low cost of operation and acquisition is an excellent way to deliver credit to prime borrowers uh, and super prime borrowers. Uh, But plugging in all of the other investors allows us to serve a really broad range. So I agree. I think Goldman certainly will have the ability to uh, get capital. Uh, But as I think you know, as well as anyone, there are many, many pieces to this puzzle. uh, And that's really just one. And, you know, having the right credit and underwriting, the right pricing, the right acquisition machine, and and the right kind of consumer culture, uh, I think are all pieces to doing this successfully. So I feel good about our ability to compete, and I'll be watching with interest. (laughs) As will I and many others. (laughs) Okay, so last question. As you look to 2017 and beyond, what are the the key things for Lending Club as, you know, to sort of you know, maintain your leadership position in in this industry. Yeah, I mean, for for us, what we're excited to do is continue to expand our footprint. Right, we've got over a million and a half customers, and expanding our our share overall uh, and share of wallet within those customers by providing you know fair and transparent products that are useful to this broad audience is going to be what you can expect to see from us and you know kind of continued innovation on that front over the next couple of years okay well on that note I'll, I'll have to let you go but um, I very much appreciate you coming on the show today Scott okay thanks Peter yep see ya bye bye I just want to expand a little bit on Scott's comment there about you know about culture and about banks and the differences and the fact that you know the capital market side is is only one piece of the puzzle. Now we've learned this year that it is a very important piece, but still you, you if you have unlimited capital it certainly doesn't guarantee you a success in this business. So with that in mind, I think, you know, Lending Club are, are fairly well positioned to to compete against the likes of Goldman Sachs, as are many others in the industry. I think it will be interesting to see, but I, you know, I don't think the arrival of Goldman Sachs or even if, uh, you know, if Chase or City or anyone else decides to come and, and launch their own online platform. I don't think it's the end of this industry by any means. I think we are, you know, we're going to see uh, more and more of a convergence, I think, where, you know, there will be some banks that will go it alone and do their own thing like Goldman. I think that they will find that it's not as easy as they expected. They may, they may already be finding that. So anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye.